1: Welcome to Big Blend Radio
2: with your hosts, Lisa and Nancy, editors of BigBlendMagazine.com.
0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to Big Blend Radio with Nancy and Lisa. You know, the crazy mother-daughter travel team on the Love Your Parks tour and publishers of Big Blend magazines. Today, we're excited to welcome back acclaimed author, Annette Libeskind-Berkowitz. And she is joining (laughs) us to talk about her new memoir. And it shares quite a story, her story, her childhood story that was very nomadic. It was in the aftermath of the Holocaust. And uh, the book Mm -hmm. is called Aftermath, Coming of Age on Three Continents. And it comes out September 13th, so just a couple days away. And it is coming out through Amsterdam Publishers, which is one of the world's largest publishers of Holocaust memoirs. And I got all stuck into what their company does, which Mm. is really impressive and important, especially now uh, in this time in in our lives. Um, And I encourage you to go to Annette's website to learn more about her books, her conservation work. Uh, She is awesome. Go to AnnetteBerkowitz.com. And that's B-E-R-K-O-V-I-T-S.com. So welcome back, Annette. How are you? Thank you. It's great. It's great to be with you again, Lisa. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's awesome. Nancy and I have been enjoying Nancy. reading aftermath and excited for people to get their hands on it. Um, and I think, well, this is what your second or third memoir? How many? It's my mem- third your, memoir. Your third wow. memoir. You've just done a novel mm-hmm. too. Am yes. I right? you- yes. A novel.
1: I had, I had a novel called The Corset Maker released mm-hmm. this March. So I have two book releases this year. It's been cool. a- productive year for me yeah. was
0: was the novel kind of based on your mom
1: it was inspired by my mom mm-hmm. uh-huh. some parts that are based on her others are inspired by her and her oh, friends. i like
0: that that is that's a cool. yeah that's a good way of putting that's it that's really right? cool I like and then it. we met you with your poetry book that's when you mm-hmm. first came on our show yes. a couple years ago yes. so
2: yes
1: wow you've been busy she has been busy, busy. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I, I love
1: writing. I spend as much time as I can doing it. Was it different nice.
0: writing a novel versus memoir?
1: Very different.
2: Hmm. Very
1: different. Um, <laughs> well, you know, there is that old adage that um, novelists are thinly disguising the truth and that memor- memoirists are Uh, embellishing the truth so you can't (laughs) really win but the difference was that in writing a memoir especially this coming of age memoir my my very young years uh, you have to really um, open yourself up to you know scrutiny by readers and you know with all of your uh, youthful uh, mistakes <laughs> uh, kind of uh, open to the world. So mm. it's it's very, um, it's kind of nerve-wracking, really, because <laughs> I wonder how yeah. people are going to uh, uh, take it, how they're going to read it. And novel is very different. It It involves a great deal of research, of course, which in memoir the research is different it's digging into your own heart
2: Mm
0: -hmm. you know with this you're digging into your own heart but you're also telling your family story I know your first memoir also you focused on your dad Um, in this you're also talking about your childhood with with your brother who's also a famous architect (laughs) we gotta talk about him so how does he feel about being written about?
2: <laughs> well,
1: honestly i don't know if he's read it yet <laughs> that's funny <laughs> he's, very busy. he's always in a every every time i speak to him i have to ask him what country he is in because oh he wow he does work around the globe so mm. just the other day i i was calling him i i thought he was in berlin but it turned out he was in tel aviv so <laughs> he's, oh wow. he's very oh. busy I don't know if he's read all of it or some of it and how he's going to feel about it, but I think he'll be okay. His daughter, Rachel Libeskind, who is a wonderful artist designed the cover. So
0: that's nice. And everyone, Daniel Libeskind is is your brother. So people can look up his I mean, he's everywhere, right? And he's in Tel Aviv, which we need to touch on Tel Aviv because that's a big part of your childhood. Yeah. And so and then so let's let's talk about the cover and then dig into your story, because this it kind of puts it into perspective for everyone, especially with the three colors. And look at those braids that you had. What a cute yeah. girl.
1: You, you know, look at you. You're so cute. I, I like grab the braids. <laughs> well, I'll tell you about the cover. And, and I'm very happy that Rachel uh, designed it as she did. Because the three colors are really uh, emblematic of, of my nomadic life and the places I've lived. The red, uh, which is the, the, the tightest one around my face, uh, the, the red stands for a number of things. It stands for the red poppy fields in Kyrgyzstan. Mm-hmm. I was born at the foothills mm-hmm. of the Himalayas where the Fargana Valley is just covered with red poppies you know background of the snow peaked mountains so it's wow wow. just such a
2: Mm.
1: a strong image that it stayed with me my whole life but of course the red also stands uh for the soviet flags
2: Mm. which
1: i saw everywhere didn't understand their meaning of course
2: Mm.
1: um and uh then there is the blue blue is the color of the Mediterranean,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: which is a body of water came to Israel. And most of my teenage years uh, took place, uh, you know, near the Mediterranean. So that's the blue, the green. Mm
0: -hmm. um, Actually, can I just touch on that? Because even in the story, there's a part where you really talk about how blue it i mean just the blue the water just it's blue like the, the sky is blue like you were just like this is blue
2: mm-hmm. and i
0: think that's really interesting when you know you're a child and being inspired by color you know how it affects yes. you
1: it really it really struck me because we were not near anybody of water when uh, where i lived in poland uh, uh-huh. so uh, it's the first time i had seen an ocean and 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 the blueness of it and and uh hmm. And the blue, blueness of the sky and the heat, you know, it was all so different from what I've been accustomed to. So it's, it's very emblematic of the experience.
2: Mm.
1: And now the green, uh, mm. green is uh, the green of the Statue of Liberty, of course, it's my first glimpse of America, but it's also in the, because these colors all could stand for both positive and negative things in the experience. Uh, We were called the greener. The greener were, uh, that was an epithet uh, by other immigrants uh, thrown at us because we didn't come with a wave of other immigrants. You know, there were waves of immigration to the US. We didn't come with any wave. We were kind of uh, solo uh, immigrants and the other immigrants uh, kind of, I, I don't know whether look down is the right uh, term to say, but we were green. We were green, like I, I wrote in my memoir, like like apples that haven't ripened. Uh, so uh, we were people that didn't know anything, that didn't know- The newbies.
2: So, the newbies so. yeah. on the block, yeah. Not,
1: not in the, not exactly in the positive sense. Yeah, um, so, mm. yeah.
2: It's so funny how people have a problem with people. They surmise to be different than themselves. I've never understood that. I don't get it. Mm. I really just don't get it. But we've lived in different countries and we've seen all sorts of responses to people who are different than yourself. You know, um, I mean, we're supposed to be that way. We're made that way, (laughs) you know? (laughs) i don't get it i really i've never understood the the you know i understand beware of strangers yes but i don't understand you look different than i do so therefore i automatically am not supposed to like you or yeah it's it's a crazy thing yes how do you move forward with that yeah As, as a child how did
1: you well you know i i think uh I was very fortunate to grow up in a very loving home. Mm -hmm. Uh, I had the support of my parents. We were a very close-knit family. And I think that's always a very important basis for a child uh, overcoming any difficulties, any traumas, uh, if if there is that support.
2: Mm -hmm. Uh,
1: Yeah. A place to land. Yeah. yeah always so mm. so that, that was i i think that was the most important and i think in some ways even though uh there are always difficulties um moving from place to place uh being an immigrant um but but that that adage whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah true in my case mm-hmm. uh, you overcome a, a lot and each time mm you learn from it. So Mm. when I came from Poland to Israel, and I can't think of two languages that are more different than Polish and Hebrew, uh, Mm. both in in, in the way it's spoken, in the parts of your throat and tongue and mouth that you use, Mm. uh, and and the different characters, you know, uh, instead of uh, left to right is right to left. (laughs) And and, and written Hebrew has no vowels. The vowels are implied by dots below the words. And the dots are only used for children's literature. Uh, As an adult, you you don't see the vowels. You have to just know them. So the shocking difference in the languages, uh, that was (laughs) a very, very big obstacle. But uh, I managed to overcome it. So in English and English, that, I mean, and, that's that, not easy from Hebrew to English and <laughs> arriving in New York without a word of oh, English. Wow. I guess if I hadn't had that experience uh, before uh, in Israel, moving from Polish to Hebrew, I would have had a much tougher time. But also mm. when we came uh, from the Soviet Union uh, in my home, there were three languages spoken. Uh, my mother primarily spoke Polish to me. My father spoke Yiddish, and the people around us spoke Russian. Oh, wow. So I was exposed to those three languages, and I think in some ways uh, it makes a very young child's brain more plastic, more mm. receptive to different sounds. Mm. So, so maybe I agree. that was it.
0: Yeah, I I had mm. a few. I didn't. It wasn't as tough for me but then we did different Af- african languages and th- some of them are all clicks and <laughs> clicks and clacks and that's a whole other a whole other thing and and don't ask me to to speak any of it now unfortunately you know if you're not talking you know using it all they the time it, 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 it does
1: go Absolutely. you know you need to you need to keep speaking it mm-hmm. yes mm-hmm.
0: do you think you know writing your memoir that the timeliness of it with the way the world is right now um you know i we look at this country mm-hmm. and um we're not being very nice to each other. (laughs) Let's put it that way. I mean, we're still dealing with racism. Um, There's still factions of people who don't even agree that the Holocaust happened. And I think that's what's really great about your publisher um, Mm. that they're putting these stories on the forefront. Um, You know, we we just did a show Mm. about World War II history. We've done a lot on it really. And they were saying that like the greatest generation is now moving on and we've got to get these stories now. So, did you feel was that part of your reason to share this?
1: Yes, I have always been taught primarily by my, by my father, who was, who was uh, a he was a great storyteller, and B, he felt it was a responsibility of people who survived to pass the story on.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So he he told me, as you probably know from my my first memoir, in the unlikeliest of places uh my father told me uh the story of of his family um very early i was very young when i learned about the holocaust some people would say Mm -hmm. too young but he he felt that it was it was very very important um so um yes Mm -hmm. passing on the history of of uh of the family is important, but it's important in the largest sense because my book is really about immigration and we're dealing Mm -hmm. with the issue of immigration all the time in this country and around the world with waves of Afghani refugees, Mm -hmm. Ukrainian refugees. uh, There's a huge number of refugees from Africa and and so on. And, And people think they know what it's like to be a refugee. Uh, mm-hmm. but they really don't, because I think even though there are some common strands in, in immigrant stories, each story is very different,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and not mm-hmm. every immigrant really uh, comes with an intense desire to be here. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, my father really mm-hmm. wanted uh, to be in America for a number of reasons. Uh, Economic one wasn't the first one. The first one was that he had only one family survivor, his sister from uh, survived Auschwitz and moved to Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. And she was here and he had no family in Israel. So he desperately wanted to be reconnected with her. He needed family. And of Mm. course, he couldn't get a job in Israel. So the economic reason was there too. So he wanted to be here but I, as a teenager in Israel, I was in love with the country. I, was, I had family for the first time because we had no family at all in Poland. So I, I didn't want to leave. The only reason uh, uh, my mother managed to haul me w- with her was I was very close to my father. Oh. Mm-hmm. And the separation from him was very, very traumatic for me. Mm-hmm. We we were separated for only about uh, seven or eight months. Mm. That's a long time. So the, the only reason uh, I really wanted to come to America was because my father was here. We were very, very close. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he was very upbeat and easy to get along with. My mother was more reserved. Uh, doesn't mean that I didn't love her very much, but I had a, a different kind of relationship with my dad and I wanted to be here. So that's mm. why I came. But I really didn't want to leave because I left uh a, a huge uh, family in Israel and and a boyfriend, which you know, to a <laughs> 15 year old leaving a boyfriend <laughs> is, is pretty traumatic. Uh so uh <laughs> And of course, uh, I didn't know English. So I, I was terrified because we arrived about a week or so before the school year began. And, you know, uh, I was uh, a week shy of my 16th birthday. Mm. And the idea of going into school and not being able to communicate is terrifying, especially at that age. I mean, at mm. any age, probably. <laughs> uh mm. uh you know, remembering my first day at the Bronx High School of Science in New York. Uh, wow. the bell rings, all the students run into their classrooms and I'm standing there with my card from my homeroom, unable to mm-hmm. find the classroom. It was a brand new building, by the way. It had opened that year. Uh, mm-hmm. and it was a complicated building and I am somebody with a poor sense of direction. So I couldn't make out what my card was telling me. And i stood in the hallway as you see the braids okay i wasn't six i was 16 but i still had the braids and i stood them in the hallway crying because Mm. i was i had no idea what to do Mm. (laughs) fortunately uh, a teacher came down the hall and he realized (laughs) this kid had a Mm. problem took me to my homeroom turned out he was my homeroom teacher and eventually Uh, Mr. Milton Kopelman became the principal of the school and we stayed friends for many years oh that's cool that's amazing Mm -hmm.
0: you know I think you're really right about this you know just even stories with um, other guests coming on our show and and hearing these stories you know like you're saying immigration refugee situations
2: Mm -hmm.
0: um, for all ages it's a oh we just we're going to have to keep moving forward and that's there's this thing about just keep moving forward because mm-hmm. you can't you can't not move forward you you don't yes. catch a break that's what it feels like to me and it's like you're always trying to navigate you know even how to go to the store and then you go to the store and you're like what the heck is all of this you know mm-hmm. the food is different um, cultures are different <laughs> I mean it's it's,
1: well, it's really true. And- <laughs> Lisa I have to tell you a story you're talking about stores I have to tell the story my very first day in America. I came down from we lived in on the fifth floor and in, in, in a building in the Bronx. And I walked downstairs just to look around to see like, where am I? And there was a a young woman who who turned out my age and who I still know till this day, you know, uh all these years later.
2: Reach new career heights with University of Maryland's Robert H. Smith School of Business. Flexible MBA and MS options. GMAT and GRE not required. Learn more at go.umd.edu slash smithschool. University of Maryland Smith School of Business. Inspired, fearless, unstoppable.
1: She tried to speak to me, but I I had no way to communicate. So Mm. it was all sign language. And she grabbed my hand and indicated, like, come with me. So I figured, well... Okay. So I followed her and she walked um, from the building where we lived, on um, Cedric Avenue on the Bronx, uh, to Broadway. And this is the very end of Broadway. So I saw the sign that said Broadway, but there was nothing but like car dealerships. And I was thinking Broadway with the flashing lights, like, oh, <laughs> what is this? What is this? <laughs> I have been... I've been duped. This is not Broadway. (laughs) And we crossed the street to a store called Woolworths. Mm -hmm. Okay? And I had no idea what that was. And I had never been in like a department store ever. (laughs) So there was the store that had kitchenware and towels and (laughs) and food. And and my eyes were just popping out of my head. And Mm -hmm. she takes my hand and we walk over to a counter that had these high stools with like red plastic seats it was like a classic you, you know like like a almost like a diner set up they had a uh, soda a soda fountain there mm-hmm. <laughs> and she ordered a coca-cola and i like my jaw dropped because in poland what we read about coca-cola it was like a i thought it was Drink Coca. So in Poland, uh, many years ago, in the early fifties, I had read about Coca Cola, and and I think maybe even at the time, or maybe before then, it had actually Coke in it. So it was considered oh. a, a drug. So when when she huh. served me Coca Cola, I I, I, w- I was. And my jaw dropped i was sitting huh. broad in coca-cola and it was only my first day in america and i was thinking Woo-hoo. what shocking things <laughs> am i gonna discover here yeah. and then she That's really funny. ran home fast because there was coke in there
0: <laughs> you know because there That's was funny. i think back then they did actually have cocaine in there. time
1: yes at some time wow. I
0: don't know hmm. when? Yes. wow it's It's interesting because the, the language barrier again. And mm-hmm. Nancy, I, you know, when you started reading her, her memoir and, and from mm. her books before, you would never know that Annette didn't speak English, right?
2: Right, yeah. But I, I know that feeling of like, when we lived in Africa for so long, when we came back to this country and we went, was it Pick and Pay, this super hypermarket. Not here, no. What, not, no pick where and Pay, was South that? African. Okay, um, when we went any, into that... Like One Publix, of those, I think. Publix. These maybe huge maybe it was a super- piggly wiggly. <laughs> it could have been any of those, but going from the small place that we live to you know dealing and bargaining with the shop owner and then a mid-sized grocery store. Like w- when I say mid sized I mean small. And then going to these huge supermarket hypermarkets and walking in. And I just remember going in and turning around, coming out because like we were putting everything in the cart that we saw, and then we left two carts of full full stuff and walked out because it was just so much that going from like very small and personal to these huge. I mean, it was like a factory to
1: me. It was it was just too much. It's a so different can, different I, experience, yes. Yeah, I, that reminds it's me nuts. of my father. My father, going to my father to uh, something like a Home Depot, Mm -hmm. standing in front of uh, a section that had like a million different kinds of screws. And he was saying, you know what, if the people in Russia saw this, they would all leave immediately. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that's
0: exactly, it's it's, it's funny because when it it came to grocery shopping, we walked out, left our carts, but then it was a couple years later, we went to Portland, Oregon. To Powell's bookstore, and we thought, "Oh "Oh my God, this is amazing!" There's music, there's musical instruments, there's a whole room of music books. A book—I mean, this was like a library Mm, that you take home with you. We walked out with with a cart full of books (laughs) and music. (laughs) And (laughs) music—I mean, that that we took home. (laughs) Yeah. But if it's if it's groceries, we could care less. But the books were we're bringing home with us, you know. So. Are you going to? I, I know things are changing a little bit in travel. Are you going to do
1: a book tour with with your memoir with aftermath? Um, possibly, uh, mm. possibly. Uh, uh, my uh, my brother's wife, my sister in law Nina, who is his partner, business partner too. Uh, she she's hosting my book launch uh, oh, next nice. week on the thirteenth, which. Luckily, happens to be my birthday. Oh well, oh. happy birthday! Yeah, happy that's a special birthday. But she was uh, thinking of of hosting uh, another uh, launch for me in Berlin and possibly one in Amsterdam. So, oh, uh, yeah, yeah, you really are international. <laughs> you know?
0: mm-hmm. Other people are going. Oh, we're going to go downtown to the local bookstore, but not you. Let's just go around <laughs> the world and do it. <laughs> one thing too, because you're writing, you write so much, and um, there's many lessons from your writing. And I think it all res- resolve, like goes around perseverance, resiliency, and just mm-hmm. to move forward and positive. And if you want to do something, do it. I think there's so many lessons and um, and to have fun too. And so your writing to me is something that will just continue on and on and on in people's lives. These stories, like what your dad was saying, you know, telling these stories, it can be done through art, architecture, like your brother. Um, obviously, all of the arts run in your family,
1: mm-hmm. which is a
0: huge, in one of the best forms of storytelling and documenting history and, and interpreting history. Um, do you see yourself with all of this, doing a book club and having, I mean, with the era of Zoom, um, having discussions with people, you know, and, and especially people who have gone through, you know, the immigration process themselves. And for those coming in, like, I feel like there should be something for those going through it
1: to, you know, not feel alone. That's that's hmm. such a great idea, Lisa. Uh, it's funny you should mention it because a few weeks ago, uh, I had a Zoom uh, meeting with um about a dozen uh readers around the world who read uh my corset wow. maker novel mm. and it That's... was it was interesting for them uh to be able to ask me questions but it was also f- probably more rewarding for me to be able to meet my readers mm. and to get to know them and find out how they reacted to to my books. so i think your idea of having uh a, a, a book club where where immigrants can share their stories, which are all different, is, is, fabulous, is mm-hmm.
0: fabulous. I think that, and also letting people who aren't immigrants be part of it so they can understand, to bridge that gap and that understanding, because it's so easy to read numbers on the news and we don't even know hmm. some journalist side of it. It's, it's, it's kind of, everyone's arguing. And if you take the time to hear someone's life story or even just a little piece of it, mm-hmm. it bridges those gaps and, and gets away from the drama and has that personal connectivity. And we do realize, hey, we all have a heartbeat. You know. We, all, you know, we mm-hmm. all care about family. We all have specific things that commonalities of being human beings, right?
2: Um, um, pretty much in this country, we're all immigrants and we tend mm-hmm. to forget that.
1: Right. We're mm-hmm.
2: immigrants. And not only are we immigrants, we took somebody else's country. Mm-hmm.
0: So well, it's been going around everywhere. yeah,
2: you know, so it's it's um I think that it's nice to uh, remember that and be kind. Mm-hmm. and not and the fear of of people who speak differently, might look differently, have different customs, I just embrace it and find out what it what the culture's all about. It's way more fun and way more interesting than being scared or insecure around it.
1: I mean, it's a, it's a, you're, you're right. And it's also interesting to, to read stories uh, yeah. of people from other countries. I recently read a book uh, called The Arsonist City. It's written by a, a Palestinian uh, author, Hila Allen. And mm. I, hmm. I was struck so much by uh, how similar we all are. You know, the family issue, too, as a family uh, mm-hmm. in, in California with, with roots in, in, in Beirut and, in, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the Middle East and how we all want connection to the roots and how family is important. It doesn't matter where you come from, what your religion is, what your color mm-hmm. is. As you were saying, we're all the same. Yeah. And that's what creates an understanding uh, of mm-hmm. people that are different. You, you read some of the stories and... It's amazing. Yeah. And you begin it's to... Amazing. Understand. Yeah. amazing. Yeah.
0: It was interesting, too, and in, in, even just looking at the photos in, in your book and seeing some of your family, because I hadn't gotten to that story yet, but you can spoil it for me if you want. <laughs> but it wasn't some of your family,
1: their Jewish faith, uh, stayed with muslims for a while you yeah, well, my parents it was my parents when my parents were released from the soviet gulags uh, because there was an agreement between stalin and the polish government in exile in london to release the polish inmates of the gulags i think it was in 1941 or two i can't remember offhand uh because that the thought was that they were going to fight on the you know on the Russian side. Uh, There were huge numbers, thousands that died of starvation and disease. But those that survived were in no condition to fight. And they were so Mm. cold, they were usually sent to the coldest climates. And all they wanted was warmth. Uh, My mother had no shoes. She used to, Uh in the kulak, she used to wrap her feet with paper and tied with string when she walked through the snow. Uh my father was in the uh, way, way, way north of Moscow. So yeah. they were released. All they wanted to go is to a, a warmer climate. First of all, they couldn't go uh, towards Poland because the war was still raging there. So there was mm-hmm. nowhere else to go, but south, which they thought was great because it was gonna be warmer. Mm. Of course, uh, when they uh, got to Kyrgyzstan, which is just a little bit uh, north of Afghanistan to give people an idea of where it is. Uh, they couldn't cross the Himalayas, so they were stuck there. Uh, but they had nothing. They had nothing. They were taken in by a Muslim family. Mm. And and I still, I, I have a photo. I think it's in the book. Uh, mm-hmm. Or maybe it's in my first memoir. <laughs> I forget. Uh mm. My family was a Muslim family that had maybe like 13 or 14 children. They took my my parents in. Mm, That's kind. We lived with a Muslim family in Kenya. Kenya. Yeah. They took us in. They took us
2: in because they were like, here's this uh, single mother with a child in Africa who doesn't have a clue what she's doing. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously, you know, and um, they were extremely kind and extremely clean. And the white friends that I had were, oh, how could you let them live with you? And I'm like, no, we're living with them. You know, let's get it straight. And they are clean. And all the things that I was told about Muslims were complete baloney. Absolute yeah. baloney. They were kind. They were sweet. They were clean. They were gracious. I. Uh, that's amazing, though.
1: Person, person to person, it changes the whole perspective.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. And memoirs, because that's mm-hmm. another personal connection. You know. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is, people when they're reading can kind of sit with something and be able Thank. to breathe with a book. A book gives you breathing space. You know. I love movies. Very nice way of putting it. I never thought. You'd, Yeah, because you can Mm. read, you can stop, you can reread it. You can Mm. reread the whole book. But and I think memoirs are so good, because it's a personal story. We tend Mm -hmm. to learn, you know, as a society learns better from true stories, you know, fiction does a lot of good too. fiction, sometimes we need that, you know, but it's when you're reading someone's true story, perseverance and Mm -hmm. mistakes, life lessons, Mm -hmm. it lets us also realize we're all human, you know, we can't Mm -hmm. be perfectionists.
2: So it's, and, um, and we all yeah. make the same mistakes mm-hmm. and we do it over and over again. Yes, <laughs> and then some of us decide to write about it. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and,
0: and then I wanted to say this too because I know that you also worked uh, many years, and I know we touched on this the last time you were on the show. Um, you did a lot in regards to
1: uh, wildlife conservation, mm-hmm. with, yes, this, yeah, yes. I, yeah. I, you know, when I talk to people about my writing. Uh, people, uh, some people make the incorrect assumption that I have been an author of my life, but the fact is, well, you write like you, you. I mean, you're mm-hmm. you're just an amazing writer. So,
2: mm-hmm. I, can ins-
1: I, uh, I I had a thirty-plus year career at the Wildlife Conservation Society in New York, mm-hmm. which is so based cool. at the Bronx Zoo. Mm-hmm. So, I, yes, I I worked with wildlife conservation and mm-hmm. education. And developed uh, programs to, to teach people about the richness of the natural world. And uh, uh, for a time, I was in charge of the Children's Zoo, which was great fun, redesign of the Children's Zoo. So oh, cool. And, and then, um, you know, traveling around the world to bring uh, programs that we designed. We designed programs to teach kids science, but using wildlife, the wonder of wildlife as a motivator so we had programs for very young kids middle school and high school and uh i think one of my proudest achievements at the job was negotiating uh with the minister of education in china to bring the first environmental education program into one of the chinese provinces and at the time early 90s uh Wow. China was very, very concerned about bringing Western ideas into schools. So wow. when that happened, and my program went into the Yunnan province, uh, uh, I, I was thrilled. But I, I, I had so many interesting mm. experiences with animals and people around the world that I wrote. I don't know if you know about my uh, book, uh, "Confessions of an Accidental Zoo Curator," because. No. Uh, oh i want to read it <laughs> that's that's one of my three memoirs the confession oh. <laughs> because oh, I actually became wow. a curator by accident yeah
2: <laughs> oh
0: see but yeah. the, but i think this is where i was going with this yeah, is the conservation funny. of um teaching kids and teaching and interpreting mm-hmm. wildlife and science is is a different it's difficult it's the same thing as
1: writing mm-hmm. and
0: and being able to tell the story to keep people engaged in this story and to think and come away from so you know a memoir like I said teaches it's a it's a mm-hmm. teaching tool and so I think with wildlife conservation you're also giving a voice to the voiceless and so I think that mm-hmm. that's also part of this the, the beautiful thing of what you're doing writing about you know the holocaust your family after the holocaust what people go through as immigrants I think you're again giving the voice to the voiceless.
1: You've you've put you've put it better than I <laughs> could, Lisa. Because <laughs> i i have, I have a loud voice, and so that's all I do. Is to <laughs> and a great mind to go with it. <laughs> oh,
0: but yeah, I think that it's all connected. So we love that. We love we love oh, that. I and love, um, I love the wildlife part too. That yes, yeah. near and
2: dear. Mm-hmm. to me
0: that's that's everything yeah. to us we got to take care of the natural world and absolutely through that we'll be able to take care of our people you know mm-hmm. so congratulations and happy birthday everyone aftermath coming of age on three continents comes out again by Annette Libeskin Berkowitz uh, Berkowitz excuse me you can go to her website <laughs> annetteberkowitz.com that's b-e-r-k-o-v-i-t-s And, uh, of course, that's September 13th, again, through Amsterdam Publishers. Look them up. They are cool, what they're doing. And, of course, keep up with us at BigBlendRadio.com. Thank you so much, Annette. It's been a true
1: pleasure. Lisa and Nancy, you're terrific interviewers. I really thank you. Thank Thank you. Thank you. I'm very, very honored to be with you.